0: Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Alison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode 214 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm an employment solicitor and HR specialist, and I run the firm Real Employment Law Advice where together with my colleagues we provide advice and assistance to both employers and employees on all aspects of employment law. Our flagship service is our HR Harbour membership where for a fixed monthly fee you can join our membership as an employer and we provide you with ongoing support and advice and also best practice on how to be the best employer in your industry or your area. As part of our HR Harbour membership, we've also partnered with Breathe to provide HR software. We have recently become a silver partner with Breathe because not only are we seeing the benefits ourselves but our clients are seeing the benefits of having dedicated HR software to deal with things like holidays, sickness absence, uh, personnel records. So if you're interested in finding more about getting both employment law and HR support but also some admin support with regards to your personnel records then please don't hesitate to get in touch. We'll give you a free no obligation quote and have a chat with you about your requirements. You can contact us on 019. 983-897-003 or by email to Allison at co.uk. So, without further ado, I'm going to get into this week's featured content. In this week's episode, I'm going to be covering a case that was heard recently in the Employment Appeal Tribunal. It's ACOM Limited and Mr. Malone. So Mr. Malone is the employee, or in this case, the applicant for employment, and ACOM is the employer. Now, this is an interesting case because it has to do with recruitment and the processes that you have in place and the potential for discrimination claims to arise from applicants. Now, you may or may not know that You don't have to be an employee to bring a claim under the Equality Act for discrimination. Applicants for job roles can apply and be discriminated against and therefore they have the right to bring a claim under the Equality Act. It's a popular misconception by some people that only employees can make claims. This isn't the case um, as this case illustrates. Now in this case it's rather interesting because Mr Malone had previously been an employee of this company um, and that's one of the points that was being dealt with in relation to the appeal Um, but I'll come on to that shortly. So Mr Malone had made an application to ACOM for employment for a consultant role and he'd made that application in August 2018. The standard process for the employer when applying for job roles was to complete a short online application form and in order to access the form the candidates had to create their own personal profile putting in their email address and password in order to be able to access the form online. Now Mr Malone sent a number of emails to ACOM's HR department in August 2018. He sent his CV and he said that because he has dyspraxia, he would find it difficult to utilise the online form essentially, so he would prefer to deal with the application orally. He said a five to ten minute phone call to talk about my experience would suffice and sent over the details. He also sent the employer some general information about how dyspraxia affects people. Now HR replied to Mr Malone explaining that the application process did require him to complete the online form. But if he had concerns about completing the form then he should let them know. In the correspondence she asked several times, for Mr Malone to inform her which parts of the form that he was finding it difficult to complete and that they may be able to provide assistance in submitting the form. Notably, Mr Malone was saying to the employer to HR that actually he would rather do the application over the phone and he continued to repeat that to them, that he would prefer to make an oral application And then HR continued to repeat that actually he needed to complete the form online. At no point did Mr. Malone respond to say exactly what it was about the form that he was struggling with. And HR, despite having his telephone number, didn't phone him to discuss it. There was just this email communication. Now, notably, in relation to this case, as I was saying earlier, Mr. Malone had been employed by... ACOM previously. He had been employed by ACOM between April and December 2017 at their Birmingham office and he was dismissed from his role in December 2017 following an extended probationary period and this was due to his unsatisfactory performance. He actually appealed his dismissal and made a claim for disability discrimination at that time in the employment tribunal And that claim was settled without any admission of liability. And in the course of settling his claim, interestingly, he sought some specific assurance from ACOM that there wouldn't be any restriction on him applying for roles with them in the future. And this assurance was given to them. So Mr Melon was already known to ACOM before making his application for employment. And it's notable because the HR person involved in the correspondence with him about the application processing and asking him what adjustments he needed in her evidence stated that maybe she should have telephoned him and that perhaps she was influenced by the fact that he had previously been employed by them and it hadn't been her direct responsibility to be involved in the recruitment process. So clearly the relationship had already been formed and in some way, if you like, tainted before he'd made the application. Whether or not that played a part in their refusal to make the adjustments needed, who knows. But it seems that there was an unconscious issue going on there. It's also interesting to note that the HR person um, had believed that he had previously completed online forms in the past, including candidate information. So again, it seems as though the HR person involved in this had formed a view about him that maybe he wasn't being genuine in his application for adjustments and that he had the ability to make those applications online in the past. Needless to say, Mr Malone was not successful with his application for employment with ACOM and he then made another application um, to ACOM for employment in 2019 for which he was permitted to make an oral application this time. Again, he wasn't successful for that role either. Interestingly, in this case, is that Mr. Malone, in the course of the evidence at the Employment Tribunal, was found to be selling items on eBay, so completing online forms and uploading items to eBay, and also that he had made approximately 60 claims to the Employment Tribunal, all of which involved the completion of online forms. And in some of the claims, his claims had been struck out or were held to have no reasonable prospect of success. Now turning to the discrimination in this case, now his claim is in relation to ACOM's failure to make reasonable adjustments and so in order to succeed in that claim the tribunal need to identify what the provision criteria or practice is that was in place at the time and in this case it was that candidates were expected to create an account online providing a password etc. So that was the provision and they were expected to answer a number of questions on that online form. So the provision criteria practice that the respondent in this case had put in place was this online application and what Mr Malone was saying was that that provision criteria practice put him at a substantial disadvantage due to his dyspraxia and The employer failed to make reasonable adjustments, notably allowing him to apply orally, and that's what his claim was about. Despite the tribunal's findings in relation to Mr Malone's eBay business and his previous applications to the Employment Tribunal Online, the tribunal did decide that he was put at disadvantage by the requirement to apply online. They then went on to find that it would have been a reasonable adjustment for the employer and they failed to make those reasonable adjustments. Now ACOM's defence in this case was twofold. The first was that Mr Malone was not a genuine applicant for the job role and therefore this didn't apply to him and the second was that they didn't know the specifics of the disadvantage because they'd tried to obtain from him in email correspondence exactly what it was was causing him disadvantage and because he hadn't engaged with them and provided that information they didn't know the specifics of what was required and what put him at disadvantage and how to assist him. One of the key points that they looked at in relation to this was case law on the point about employers' knowledge. And it's not necessary for an employer to have explicit knowledge if they ought reasonably to have known that someone was at a disadvantage by something in place. So they can't just say, well, we didn't know because you didn't expressly set it out. It's down to employers if they have noticed that there's a potential disadvantage and or it's seems reasonably obvious that someone has a disability to then look at the adjustments that are needed. They can't merely turn a blind eye just because the individual hasn't spelt out exactly what's required of them. So ultimately at the employment tribunal stage they found in Mr Melon's favour by saying that the employer should have known about his dyspraxia and the disadvantages caused because he set to out them in writing and the fact that he didn't spell out in detail via email exactly what was causing him a disadvantage wasn't enough to avoid the employer having a duty to make a reasonable adjustment in this case what they should have done was telephoned him to find out more information so as to work out how they could assist him either with the form or by making an adjustment such as an oral application The Employment Tribunal were satisfied in this case that Mr Malone was a genuine applicant for the job role and therefore his claims for discrimination were successful and he was awarded £2,000 for injury to feelings, compensation and £700 in interest. Now at the appeal, the Employment Appeal Tribunal agreed with the original judgment of the tribunal on all parts save for in relation to whether or not he was a genuine applicant for employment. It seems as though there had been some confusion in relation to the tribunal's judgment as to the advertised role that he was applying for. In the employment tribunal's judgment they had concluded that Mr Malone was applying to work in a different office at the London office and therefore in a different team from where he had worked previously when employed by the respondent which had been in the Birmingham office and it was therefore potentially a fresh start despite the circumstances in which his previous employment with the respondent had ended. And the Employment Appeal Tribunal went on to find that there had been an error by the Employment Tribunal in relation to the conclusion that they reached about the team that he was applying for because the tribunal had wrongly thought that the new role was in a different team and therefore the case was sent back to the employment tribunal to reconsider the outcome in light of the judgment here. All other areas of appeal were dismissed save for this one issue about whether he had been a genuine applicant because the employment tribunal had reached the conclusion that he was a genuine applicant because in their view he was applying for a different team but it seems as though There was an error in relation to that conclusion and therefore on that issue the case was remitted back to the employment tribunal to decide. Now this is an interesting case for a number of reasons and you've probably pulled them out from what we've discussed so far. Um, But notably this chap is a serial litigant. He was previously employed by the company and had made a claim which was settled. He then subsequently applied for employment with them, putting them on notice of his disability and the impact that it has by sending them information and asking for an adjustment to their application process, which in a rather misguided way was refused or not dealt with appropriately by HR, probably because of their previous dealings with him and assumptions that they had made. So rather than making a telephone call to him and just trying to chat through what was needed and making that adjustment to potentially deal with his application by telephone, they didn't do that, which led to this claim in the employment tribunal for which he was successful in obtaining compensation of £2,000 plus £700 interest. And then of course, The Employment Tribunal made an error in their findings in relation to him being a genuine applicant for the job role. So the case has gone to the Employment Appeal Tribunal and will now go back to the Employment Tribunal. And it appears from the judgments in this that Mr Malone was um, representing himself throughout. The employer clearly had solicitors involved and were being represented at both the Employment Tribunal and Appeal Tribunal stage. And the costs of defending this claim would clearly have been significant, both in terms of legal fees and also the the management time and resources in defending the case by providing witnesses and dealing with paperwork, all because the employer in this case decided not to make that telephone call. It's really interesting when you can track cases back to that one decision made by somebody in HR and the impact that that can have many years later. As we've heard, Mr Malone made the application in 2018 for employment and the judgment in relation to this was, uh, or sorry, the hearing in relation to this at the Employment Appeal Tribunal was in July 2023. So some five years later, and now the case is going back to the tribunal, which will be another delay if it goes ahead and then further judgment by the tribunal for the evidence all of that sort of thing so quite a long period of time quite a lot of time and expense involved for a case which is worth very little in terms of compensation and also could have been resolved by a simple telephone call way back when the application had been made. For employers what can you take from this case? Well it's really important to make sure that when you're doing your recruitment processes that you consider having accessible options available or at least in your advert or application stage you can say we also have alternatives available so if you have a disability which means that you are unable to complete our standard process please get in touch and we can arrange an alternative process for you or just having a to an alternative process to make it a lot easier for those people who might be at disadvantaged now obviously and um, when it comes to disability there are such a wide range of things so it's very difficult to cover off everything which is why you might want to have um, a situation where you just ask people to contact and then you can make those adjustments now you don't have to know that somebody has a disability unless they tell you you can't make assumptions unless it's very obvious to you now if you It's a completely new applicant that you've never met before, never had any dealings with applying for a job role. Unless they tell you that they have a disability that puts them at a disadvantage, there isn't any obligation to make those reasonable adjustments. But if it's somebody who's known to you or somebody who contacts to explain that your application process is going to cause me difficulty because of X, Y and Z, Then you're on notice at that point that that person may require adjustments. And it's at that point in time that you need to start thinking about those things and making those changes. And finally, what's really important in this case? Well, it's communication. There's a failure in relation to communication between the employer and the applicant, Mr. Malone, at this, at the stage at which he was applying. Had that telephone call been made, had an open dialogue been started, then it would have saved a lot of time, a lot of hassle. So whilst it might be uncomfortable to have those difficult phone calls or those difficult conversations, it can save a whole lot of hassle in the long run. So think about adjustments to your processes Remember that communication is critical to resolving problems with both employees and applicants for job roles with you. If you have any questions about anything that I've covered in the podcast today, or you want to discuss your own recruitment process or how you could make reasonable adjustments for uh, disabled candidates, then please don't hesitate to get in touch. My email is alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk. Alternatively, you can call my office on 01983 897 003 and arrange for a callback from a solicitor. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. I look forward to bringing you the next episode in two weeks time and I hope that you have a fantastic week ahead. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you, that the information in this podcast is for information only it's general review and a general update it's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances so please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast but please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice